Let's turn to Acts chapter 16. If this is your first day, you came on a great Sunday to come because we are starting a new series, a new message series called Harmony, a church in tune with God. And for the next eight weeks, we're going to be walking through the book of Philippians as we would discover that the one of the main themes that Paul communicates to the Philippian church is that they need to be unified with one another. And so we want to be a church where we're unified, that we have harmony in our church, and particularly harmony with one another, and we want to be a church that is in tune with our God. Amen? Amen. Amen. So today what we're going to journey through is, is in the book of Acts, chapter 16, we actually see how the Philippian church came into existence. And that's where we're going to start the beginning of this series in and walking through uh, Acts chapter 16 today. So you'll turn with me, Acts chapter 16, verse 6. It's on page 604 if you choose to use one of the Bibles under your seat. And if you do not own a Bible, you can take that Bible with you. We would love for that to be a gift from us. Again, Acts chapter 16, verse 6. So I'm going to read all of it, so buckle up. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they came to Messiah, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Passing by Messiah, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Shoaz, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Symmetris, the next day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city of the district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city for several days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the woman, women gathered there. Yeah. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatria, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. As she followed Paul and, and us, she cried out, these men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the servants of the Most High, God. She did this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed, hashtag thug life, turning to the spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. When her owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace 
to the authorities. Bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, this is rather peculiar, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. I think it's interesting that they lead with they are Jews. The crowd joined in the attack against them, and the chief magistrate stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. Y'all tired yet? I hope not. I'm going to read About midday, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself, because we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in this house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had, he had come to believe in God with his entire household. We're almost there, y'all. When daylight came, the chief magistrate sent the police to say, release those men. The jailer reported these words to Paul. The magistrates have sent orders for you to be released, so come out now and go in peace. Paul said to them, again, hashtag thug life. They beat us in public without a trial, although we are Roman citizens, and they throw us in jail, and now are they going to send us away secretly? Absolutely not. On the contrary, let them come to, uh, themselves and escort us out. The police reported these words to the magistrate, and they were afraid when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to appease them, and escorting them from prison, they urged to, the, to leave town. After leaving the jail, they came to Lydia's house, where they saw and encouraged the brothers and sisters and departed. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. We spent the last 30 minutes talking to you. And so now, God, we thank you that you're speaking to us. So open up our hearts and our ears and our minds to receive what it is that you have to say today. That you will be glorified through the preaching of your word. That we'll be edified, that we will not just be hearers of your word, they would be doers. They will not be like a man that looks in the mirror, sees his flaws go away and forget what he saw. But that by your grace and a grace-driven effort, 
we're able to live in accordance with your will. So as I decrease, God, I pray that your spirit increase in me. And I pray, Lord, that none of me be seen but all of you. That every word that comes from my mouth will be ordained by you that you, again, before your people, will get all the glory. Transform us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever felt like your life was a little chaotic before? I think all of us at some point in our life will look at it and say, man, this, these uh, circumstances are a little bit difficult for me. That it, it is hard and it is overwhelming with all the responsibilities that I have in my life, whether you're taking care of bills or you're taking care of children or you're trying to go to school. On top of that, you have interpersonal relationships with your family. My mom used to say it like this, that when it rains, it pours. I think all of us have, have felt that, that, that thing in our life where it felt like too much was happening at one time. Very, I feel like it's very similar to our sister Melanie's story. As one day she's minding her own business and she finds out that both her sons, two of her sons and her brother, were involved in a major car accident. And so she's divided because her brother is in one hospital with broken ribs and uh, many other things. And her son is at another hospital needing to have surgery. And there's just a lot happening at one time. Meanwhile, her mom is in the same hospital with her brother. In the midst of all of those things happening, her mom passes away. Her brother's lungs collapse. And she still has to raise three boys as a single mom. Not to mention, Mel's an entrepreneur. So she don't have one job. She's on that Kevin Gates ministry. She has six. <laughs> All of these things piling on at one time. But here's what I want to argue with you today, that even though your life may lack harmony, when life lacks harmony, you can trust in God's leading. That regardless how difficult your circumstances might be, regardless of how rough it is, you can trust the leading of the Holy Spirit when you lack harmony in your life. Yeah. <clears throat> and we see Paul in the scriptures doing a very similar thing. Paul is lacking harmony in his life. We go back to chapter 15. In chapter 15, Paul and his best friend Barnabas gets into a major fallout. Paul and Barnabas decided that they were going to visit all the churches that they had started, encouraging them with the good news that the, the, that the Christian faith had come to a consensus about uh, uh, what we're supposed to do, whether you're supposed to be circumcised to have salvation or not. And they come to this uh, a consensus that we're not going to add any other burdens on our brothers and sisters, particularly those who are not Jewish. And all you need to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul and Barnabas decide they're going to go to the churches that they've started and to share this good news. But as they prepare to share it, they're, they're debating on who to take with them. Paul decides that he does not want to take John Mark, even though Barnabas wants to take John Mark. John Mark is the author of the book of Mark. And Paul knows that John Mark abandoned them in their last missionary journey. 
So Paul feels like, hey, man, this dude cut out on us the last time. I don't feel comfortable taking him back on the journey with us. Barnabas, being his name meaning encourager, he uh, 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 wants to encourage Mark and continue him in the faith and bring him along. And they, they have such opposing views on this that two best friends who planted churches together, who who's helped start new works and lead hundreds, if not thousands of people to the faith, decide to go their separate ways. I don't know if you've ever heard an argument with somebody that you had an intimate relationship with, but it really messed up your whole day. It'll mess up your whole week. It'll mess up your whole month. And so Paul is in this experience of lacking harmony in his life. Him and his best friend have to go their separate ways. They they can't agree. And we don't really know the extent of Paul and Barnabas in the relationship. I would hope that because as Christian brothers, they later reconcile. But as far as we know now, they don't see eye to eye. So Paul puts together a new team. He grabs Silas. Stops over and grabs his disciple Timothy and Luke, the doctor who writes the book of Luke, and they start to decide where it is that the Lord wants to have them. The Bible says first they try to go uh, uh, to Asia, but the Spirit of God forbid them. Now we don't know what that looks like. You know, we don't. It, there's a lot of different options. They could have. Uh, received a, a vision from the Lord. Uh, one of the prophets could have spoke a word to them. They could have had an unction from the Holy Spirit. Uh, the scriptures doesn't specify, but we do know that Jesus said, no, don't go to Asia. So then they tried to go to another place, Bithynia. And it says Je- the spirit of Jesus told them not to go there either. Can you imagine how frustrating this is? For Paul, that he's, he's off the cusp of this breakup with his best friend, and now every place he tries to go to do God's work, God keeps saying no. And it's frustrating. But I want to encourage you with our first point this morning. And that is, when God says no, it's for your good. When God tells us no, it's really for our good. A lot of times we like to think of the word no as being something negative, something that we can't do. We feel that we've been, uh, we, we, we've been limited from, from productivity or whatever it is that we want to do. But actually when God tells you no, regardless of the circumstances, it's actually for your good. And we need to be reminded of that when there are various things in our life that we're trying to be a part of. That God's knowing your life is good for you. When he told the Israelites that they couldn't go into the promised land, it was still good for them so that they could trust God. And so when we get a note from God, our response not to be to, to be like a, a two-year-old and throw a tantrum, we should be thanking God and celebrating because his no is good for us. Reminds me of a very interesting season in my life that happened not too long ago. I, I didn't know if God would ever let me share this story publicly. Uh, but there was a time where there was a church that wanted me to be their pastor. It was an exciting time. In fact, uh, it, it, it was, uh, I believe, eight initial candidates, and it all boiled down to just me. And typically in the black church, they, they really vote on two people. And so it was pretty interesting that I was the only person to be running at this point. The leadership was on board. They were excited about having me. The church was excited about 
having a young person being a part of being a pastor. There were a lot of factors, and you know, this is a Baptist church, and so the fact that the deacons and the trustees were all agreeing on something was pretty amazing. And so everybody's on board. And so one day, in fact, they even agreed to pay for my school. They was going to pay me a part-time salary, which was actually more than what I was making at the job I was working full-time. I was going to make a full-time income for part-time work. And so I'm ready to take it, and we're waiting. The boat happens, and sitting there, laying in my bed, waiting on the phone call. And I don't get the phone call when I think it is. So I'm waiting a little, about an hour later than I was anticipating to get a phone call. And when the, 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 the chairman of the deacon board calls me, he says that you didn't get the vote. I was short one vote to be the pastor of this church. And it was safe for me to conclude that this was a no for God. He slammed that door shut. And guess what? If I had not been obedient to that no, none of us would be sitting in this room today. If I had not trusted God when he said no, it was hard. Don't get me wrong. I had a lot of questions. I was confused. And I convinced myself this was God's will. That people who came to know Jesus Christ because of this church being in the community would not have come to know Christ in that way. The six that are being baptized next Sunday would not be getting baptized if it wasn't for God saying no. People in this church who have never shared the gospel before would have never been obedient to God in that way had this church not been here. A man wouldn't have been able to pay his rent. And have been sleeping on the streets, yeah. tempted to sell drugs or steal from someone, yeah. if God wouldn't have said no. Yeah. A young man at Wiseman High School would not have been able to pay for his cap and gown, would have never owned his first pair of slacks or a tie, if the Well Church wouldn't have been on 2800 Bird Jones Lane. So when God says no, yeah. it's for your good. And you don't have to kick and scream. scream. Yeah. You can trust yeah. his leading. Yeah. And here's what happened to Paul. God kept saying no. He wanted to go here. God said no. He wanted to go here. God said no. And finally, Paul gets a vision of a Macedonian man screaming for help. And as he's screaming for help, he's saying, come over and help us. Paul gets up. They don't waste any time. They conclude that this is the will of God for us to go here. And they go over to Macedonia and they go to the city of Philippi. Philippi was a leading city in the district of Macedonia. It was great for their economy. They had these roads paved by the uh, uh, Roman Empire. What's really cool about Philippi is that it was a place that held a lot of Roman pride. There's a lot of nationalism and, and, uh, and Philippi because they were Roman colonists and a lot of the uh, soldiers that fought in the army with the Roman emperor were retirees there. And it really is helpful for us to understand why things in the scriptures take the place that they take that you got these veterans 
who have a lot of Roman pride that live in this city. And so when Paul gets into the city, in the great city of Philippi, they camp out for a couple days. And by the time the Sabbath rolls around, Paul's typical missional strategy was to go into the synagogues. But instead of going to the synagogue, there was no synagogue because there were probably not 10 Jewish men who were leading households to have one. So they go to the river where religious people would meet, and there are all women at this river. Yeah. Isn't that amazing how when the men don't show up? Yeah. The women have to leave. They have to be in this position. And they are being faithful to God. I thank God for godly women. Amen. Amen. And so Lydia is a God-fearing woman. She hadn't went through all the respects to to really be a proselyte for uh, uh, the Jewish faith. However, she is a God-fearing woman, which means she believes in Yahweh, the one true God. But we know as Christians that you can't stop there. So Paul goes to the river, he's sharing the good news with them, and the Bible says, I love this, that the Lord opens her heart to receive what God is sharing. Because here's what we need to know. And this is why we can't take credit, that we can't boast in our salvation, because you can't believe in God unless God gives you the ability to do it in the first place. So in God's love for you, he opens your heart to be receptive of the good news. And so you can't be arrogant to say, hey, I got it right. My siblings didn't because I trusted in God. No. God actually took the first step. And had he not taken any steps, you couldn't take a step. And so here it is in Paul's obedience in the midst of a lack of harmony. Lydia, who's an entrepreneur, a wealthy woman who sells purple linen. Purple was usually, uh, is a colorful royalty. So she's selling this linen for a lot of money. And the first member of the Church of Philippi is a wealthy business woman. In fact, she doesn't even stop at her salvation. She actually makes room for her entire household to believe in the Lord. That ought to challenge some of us today. That if we just stop at our own personal relationship with Christ, but we not move to make sure that our household knows Jesus, then we're not living out our Christian faith right. So Paul leads Lydia to faith, and they move the scriptures move into the next section. And in the next section, Paul, Luke, Silas, Timothy, doing their Christian thing, and they're walking around, and it says one day doesn't tell us how long it is or how long it's been since Lydia's conversion. But one day as they're walking about, there was this slave girl who who had this spirit that allowed her to tell the future. And her owners took advantage of this. They would use her to gain money. And so this girl, because even demonic spirits recognize who Jesus is, they start walking around following Paul and Silas, yelling, these men are from God. They are from the, the, the most high God to proclaim the way of salvation. And Paul gets annoyed by the fact that this girl is following him around. And scholars kind of debated exactly about what this annoyance is, but nevertheless, the scripture tells us that he's annoyed. And he does something (laughs) that's incredible. Simply out of being annoyed, Paul is such a Christian thug that he turns around and rebukes the spirit and then leaves. What? What? 
It's not that the scripture doesn't indicate that he just really wanted her to know Jesus, which I'm sure he did. It doesn't tell us that, that someone cried for help for this woman. Paul was just irritated. All right, Satan, enough of that. Bye. The spirit leaves, but his, the owners get mad because they can't make profit from this girl anymore. They can't exploit her brokenness anymore for their own profit. So they get up, they start throwing con confusion, and they say they, they drag Paul and Silas to the marketplace, bring them before uh, the Roman uh, officials so that they can pronounce judgment on Paul. And here's what they say when they do this. They don't say, hey, they messed up a good thing. They destroyed our business because we were exploiting this young slave girl. They say these Jews are stirring up trouble. And what they do is they appeal to the Roman nationalism that mm, they appeal to the Roman nationalism. Oh, man. Mm. Oh, man. They stir up confusion to create division in the city oh, man. so that they can get Paul and Silas thrown in jail. And so because they throw, they, they start this confusion uh, or with this anti-Jewish uh, 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 rhetoric, they're able to divide the city and they move sensible people to doing something stupid. So they start beating Paul and Silas, and they throw him into prison. And so here it is. Again, a lack of harmony in the life of Paul and Silas. They don't even throw Luke and uh, Silas in. I mean, Luke and Timothy, because Timothy is part Greek. So he's not a Jew. And neither is Luke who is not a Jew. But the Jews are the one that's thrown in the prison. And so, they're in the prison, and they start doing something a little unorthodox. Instead of barking at God and fussing at God because of the wounds that they're experiencing, or instead of angry with the Roman man about their position in prison, they start singing hymns. They start giving praise to God. They start thanking God for his goodness and his mercy. They, they begin to celebrate in the midst of being in prison. And while they're in prison celebrating, all the prisoners hear the songs of joy that Paul and Silas are singing. Very much reminds me of what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And I say again, Rejoice. Because if we're going to be in tune with God, if we're going to be a church in harmony, we got to learn to rejoice regardless of the circumstances we're facing. We have to learn to maintain an attitude of joy during setbacks. Why, why, why is it that you can have an attitude of joy during setbacks? It's because of what James 1, 2 through 4 says when he says, Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And when endurance has its full effect, you may be mature and lacking nothing. So what is it? That the hardship that we face in our life, God is using those hardships to make us better. So our second point is that God uses setbacks as setups for kingdom impact. 
every setback you face in your life. God wants to use that to impact his kingdom. I think Joseph is probably our greatest illustration of that in the Bible in Genesis, where Joseph is sold sold into slavery by his other brothers. He becomes a a, a slave to an Egyptian man, gets thrown into prison because he chose to live pure, and then ends up as the second in command in all of Egypt. And finally, his brothers who thought he was dead or never knew what would happen to him again, he, they find him because they need food. And Joseph, in wisdom that God has given him, has properly rationed all the food that though famine has broken off across the world, Egypt is the only place that has food. And that's because Joseph was second in command. And so his brothers come seeking for food. They run into their brother. They're afraid that he's going to punish him after their father died. And Joseph tells them, were well, you meant for evil? God meant for good. God used the setback in Joseph's life to set him up for a major kingdom impact. Their lives were saved because of Joseph. Following the leading of God's spirit. And here it is. God uses Paul's setback as a setup for kingdom impact that as they've been singing songs and praises to God, One night, an earthquake happens and all the chains from all the prisoners fall off. And when that happens, the jailer wakes up and he notices that the doors are wide open. And so instead of dying by the Roman hand, which was probably going to torture him before they killed him, he decides to take his own life. So he draws his sword and Paul speaks up and says, hey, don't kill yourself. We are here. And if I, had, if I had to really open up my Christian imagination, I can imagine Paul being a man of faith, a man of boldness, a man of valor, because any prisoner could have got up and left. Yeah. Paul, by the Spirit of God, must have convinced everybody to stay put. And as everyone's staying put, the jailer realizes that nobody actually has left. He calls for the lights to come on, and he falls on his face before Paul and Silas, and he asks those beautiful words, what must I do to be saved? Oh, my God. Paul and Silas' attitude of joy must have been so contagious that this man knew that the only way you can have this type of attitude in the midst of setbacks is that you must have something greater in you that is in the world. My God. So he falls down. And Paul tells him, in order for you to be saved, you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't say, hey, Mr. Jelly, you got to get your act together. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't say, hey, Mr. Jelly, you got to speak in tongues. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, believe on the Lord, meaning he's the boss. He's in control. Believe on him. And you, and it won't even stop at you, your household will be saved. And here's what the jailer does. My God. He takes Paul back to the house, and he feeds him a meal. The Roman jailer, who is responsible for locking Paul up and throwing away the key, is not only feeding Paul, but the scripture says he's cleaning his wounds. What? People 
who have disdain for Jews because Paul was following the Lord Jesus Christ is now cleaning the wounds of the same Jew that he would have anti-sentiments towards. Man, let me just go and keep it 100 funky with y'all this morning. Here it is, the Roman government oppressing the nation of Israel, having anti-Jewish sentiments, with all types of national pride and arrogance about their national origins, is now serving the same people that they've oppressed. And if there are implications for America in this passage of scripture, I don't know what it is. And how do we even get to this place? It's because Paul, in the midst of a lack of harmony, was obedient to God's spirit. He was obedient to the spirit of God. And now this man is serving someone that his people will later burn at the stakes. This is incredible. What the gospel can do to the heart of any man, any woman, any ethnic group, black or white, slave owner or slave. The gospel can heal anybody. My God, that ain't even in there. And so God uses this setback as a setup for kingdom impact that two people who are in ethnic opposition are able now to exist in harmony with one another. (laughs) So the next day rolls around and the magistrates send word to Paul's new brother in Christ that they can leave. And so he tells them, peace be with you. They say that you are free to go. And Paul, like a boss, says, I'm not going anywhere. They embarrass me in public. They need to come in public and escort me out of the prison because I'm a Roman citizen. So their anti-Jewish sentiments actually led them to make a terrible mistake because if any Roman is punished before getting a proper trial, that Roman colony could very well lose their Roman status. And those officials could lose their jobs. And because of their racism, they're about to lose, possibly, they're about to mix it up for the whole district, the whole city, and they're about to lose their jobs. And so Paul has them come down. And it it really looks like Paul deserves the monthly award of pettiness. That's what it really looks like. But actually, Paul is being very strategic about this. The reason why he tells them to come down and and, and to to publicly apologize is because he's actually setting it up better for the Philippian church. See, Paul being punished and then sent away privately does not show everyone because he's directly connected to the church of Philippi and all of these other Christians. And to see him being apologized to shows that the wrong is not on the Christians. The wrong is actually on the Roman government. And so here's what he does, and this is our second point. Your influence can create harmony for others. That Paul stewards his Roman privilege 
for those who are lower than he is so that they can be built up and practice their faith freely. My God. And we'll continue to unpack that as the series goes on where Paul speaks directly and how we steward our privileges for those who don't have what we have. And we have the same responsibility to take our influence and to create harmony for others. And this is the church of Philippi. A church that started out with a lack of harmony in the midst of it actually grows into a church that is the most generous church that the scripture talks about in the Bible. Grows in a church that the really the only issue Paul has to deal with is them being in unity with one another. In other books, like the book of Corinthians, Paul has to talk about people being in relationship with their stepmom, and he has to talk about all of this improper usages of the spiritual gifts, and he has to address issue after issue after issue. In the church of Galatia, Paul skips the pleasantries and jumps to it and says, who has bewitched you and led you out of the gospel? But the church of Philippi, he starts with, every time I remember you in my prayers, I give thanks for you. A church that has so much harmony and so in tune with God begins out of a mist of lack of harmony. Comes, bursts out of adversity for the apostle. This is incredible. And for the next seven weeks, we get to journey through the life of this church and the teaching that Paul encourages them. And I hope that the well church will be just like the church of Philippi. That if we'll look at the church of Philippi, Lydia, a woman of wealth, is the first member of the well church. I mean, uh, of the Philippian church. If God wants to send a woman named Lydia with wealth to the well church, we'll take it. Amen. Amen. First woman of the uh, church of Philippi was an upper class woman. Some scholars believe that the slave girl would also become a part of the church of Philippi, which is very much possible. Why? Two reasons. One, she has no value to her owners anymore. And two, Lydia has the wealth to actually purchase her freedom. And the church did things like that for each other. And and so here it is, this upper-class woman and this lower-class slave girl are both a part of the church of Philippi. And then this jailer who comes to faith is a middle-class man, blue-collar guy working his butt off. And we see a multi-socioeconomic church in the church of Philippi. That there are people of all different economical classes that existed in this church. And that is my heart for our church. That we would not only be multi-ethnic, we would not only be multi-generational, but we also would be multi-socioeconomical. That we truly be a church where folks from the suburbs of West Monroe, Swartz, South Monroe, even Bakkenville would all come in one room and worship God together. 
and not just come in a room together to worship God, but to actually do life together. That regardless of who comes in the room, the black folks don't change their conversations and the white folks don't change their conversations because we are a church in harmony with one another. What an incredible thing we see in this church today. And so as I invite our worship team back up this morning, I'm encouraged that we've got an insight into the church of Philippi, but also that we can continue to be encouraged by the words that God gave Paul to speak to them. And I just want to talk to someone this morning who, who may be lacking harmony in their life. And you're probably lacking harmony because you like Jesus. Because Jesus isn't your Lord and isn't your Savior. And if that's true today, that you lack harmony because Jesus is not your Lord and Savior, we want to encourage you to do what the Bible encourages you to do. That there was an understanding that when Paul spoke to this Philippian jailer, And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The first step in that is actually repenting of your sins. Because Jesus can't be your savior if you don't acknowledge that you need to be saved. The Bible says you are a sinner. That you have committed an act of treason against our king, God, the maker and creator of the universe. And you deserve to get a traitor's judgment, which is death. And not just death in this lifetime, death eternally. Eternally separated from God, casted in the lake of fire. So you need to repent. You need to turn away from your sins and place your trust in Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, meaning he's the boss meaning he calls the shots in your life, that you don't make decisions for your glory or for your benefit, you make them for the glory of God. He's in control, and your confidence is in him totally. And so if that's you today, I want to invite you to come have a conversation with my sister Mel at our connect table. Because we want to make sure you understand what decision that you're making today. When you say you want to follow Jesus, that's a serious commitment. We want to make sure you get it. We can create an emotional experience up here. We can lay hands on you. We can pray. That'd be great. You'll feel good and you'll walk out the same. But we can make sure that you know Jesus and that your eternity is secure. So if that's you today, We welcome you with open arms, with joy.